Welcome to the Mindful News Podcast, where today we speak with ethical leadership expert Karen Liebenguth. It's a practice. That's always what I like to say first. It's not an idea. There's a lot out there about ethical models, more at the academic level. That is all fine. And some people need a more academic approach to ethics. I come from a, a very different angle. I say ethics are a practice. It's not an idea. It's something we do and can do every day. So often in the traditional leadership world and training practice, it's very much about the leader and what they do. Often it's not so much about their inner life, their values, their inner compass. And so ethical leadership is very much about the leader as a person and knowing themselves and their impact on others. Firstly, the world needs more ethical leaders who are aware of themselves and others who are able to go beyond their own needs and wants. That's really also at the core of ethical leadership, being able to move beyond one's own needs and wants in service of others. That's very much ethical leadership. And of course, mindfulness is a big part of our work. Karen is a wonderful mindfulness expert and has used her many years of experience to put together her own programs with a focus on ethical leadership. This is what we dig to on, on the episode. What is ethical leadership and why is it important? How does mindfulness play a role in this? Karen is also the co-founder of the Ethical Leadership Program and set up her green space coaching and mindfulness company where she takes walks with clients in nature and green spaces to provide the most natural and freeing setting to allow honest conversations. Karen's details are in the description. My LinkedIn profile is a great place to find out all about her incredible work and their links. Thank you very much, Karen, for taking the time to join me this morning. And like in our quick introductory chat, lots of mutual friends. And, you know, you're someone that's very much involved in, in the mindfulness community and doing great stuff, especially in the corporate world. And... I know just having a peek at your profile as well, that you worked with Kugan. And the reason why it struck with me is because that's where my wife and I got married. It was our anniversary last week, the 29th of September, um, where we were married nine years ago at Kew Gardens. Wonderful. So thank you so much for doing this. And um, I'm just really excited to jump in. So I will go straight into my first question. You've had a very long career, very much focused on helping others, doing good for the planet, you know, from working at Friends of the Earth, setting up green space coaching and mindfulness and co-creating Parsifal's ethical leadership program. So before we get into that, can you share a little bit of the circumstances of your early years that went into shaping who you became? Yeah, just before I go into that, I just want to say thank you for having me. And it's a real pleasure to be in and lovely to hear that you got married at Kew Gardens. <laughs> I love Kew Gardens and I have loved working with them, doing mindfulness in nature there. So I was delightful that they came on board with it. So yeah, my background, very much like yours, started in corporate, in the corporate world. Um, my background is in linguistics and film translation. I specialized in subtitling films and translating feature films and documentaries that brought me to London 20 years ago. But it was a high-stress high job, very demanding, long hours, lots of responsibility. I suffered from anxiety, sleeplessness, overwhelm. 
and I needed to do something about it. My workplace didn't offer very much in terms of support, line management, supervision. So I needed to do something to help myself, my mind particularly, and my heart. And um, a very good friend of mine pointed me to meditation and mindfulness to begin to work with my mind, what was going on. That was really the beginning. That was around 2003, four when I started in earnest to look at uh, mindfulness and meditation. And really, I mean, it's such a cliche, but it really changed considerably, majorly, how I was experiencing myself, how I was experiencing life, the way I related to myself and others. I was very judgmental, self-critical, judgmental of others, and coming into relationship with myself with more kindness and compassion and noticing my judging mind made all the difference because, of course, that is the most painful thing we can do to ourselves. And when we are not in loving connection with ourselves, we cannot possibly experience life in a more abundant, expansive, um, enjoyable way because we are closed down, contracted. It's not possible really to be in good relationship with others and life. So that's really a brief history of where I'm coming from. So very much from the corporate world. And then I wanted to share what I've learned and experienced with others. And I trained as a coach. Uh, today, I do a lot of, as you said, work with leaders. I do mindfulness programs in the workplace, very much um, in service of others, if you like sharing yeah. what, what has helped me. Yeah. And it seems that you have this strong sense of mission. Now, was there perhaps something pre the corporate world, you know, going back to your childhood, where, you know, this idea of helping others and you know, in the different lines of work that you've done is very much, you know, almost like a, you're on a mission to do good for the planet. How did that come about? Yeah, so thank you for the question, because not many people ask me about sort of my passion and interest in the environment and nature. So that goes back to my early childhood. Um, my I grew up with a single mother and my sister. My mom was working full time. Um, so she wasn't around very much during the week, but at the weekend, we would always spend a lot of time in nature, um, walking on our bikes and looking at plants and flowers. And it was just so helpful looking back for us, because after a day out, already as a child, I, was, yeah, I could feel the difference and how I felt differently about myself and life. And I also grew up in a family that was very environmentally aware. I think it came from my mother's love for nature. And also I grew up in Germany. I'm German. Whereabouts in, in Germany? In Hamburg. Hamburg. North of Germany. Yeah. And I think I grew up with a very environmentally aware mother. So from a young age, recycling was just normal. That's what we did. Not using more paper energy than was needed you know, not using the car more than was needed. So the green movement in Germany, I think, you know, started about 20 years earlier than it did here in the UK in that more conscious way and helping people become more environmentally aware and adapting a more green lifestyle. So that was very much part of my upbringing. And so that's where that comes from, my love for nature and working for the environment and um, how... And I pursued that as in my student years. I was part of the green group at university and it always felt very satisfying to me doing something for 
the good society if you were if you want to making a contribution yeah so it seems like the your passions have combined together the mindfulness the green side the helping the environment you mentioned that you know your purpose is to create a unique time and space where people can thrive i'm interesting to break that down a bit so does that mean that you know, we are not creating a unique time and space where we thrive perhaps if you can share a little insight into that yeah in my experience of working with coaching clients and from the mindfulness groups i have worked with over the years in particularly corporate settings it has been very much my experience that unique time and space is a rare gem these days because people feel under pressure life has become demanding and complex family life career personal and professional development going on holiday so today which is fantastic we have much more choice than we used to have some 30 50 years ago or the generation of my parents there was a lot less choice around what we do and can do in our lives but life has become demanding and complex and so in my experience when people come to me having that space to be listened to in the way i listen to my clients uh, and i see a lot of my clients outdoors while walking in victoria park in london or in other green spaces in and around london giving people that space to talk things through makes a huge difference to them i often say very little on ask very little i just walk alongside people and they can talk and they feel completely different at the end of a session and often they thank me and i'm thinking gosh you know how interesting all i did was walking alongside them being mindful attentive open curious and it's changed and changes how they feel about themselves in life and they can see a little further into their life and they have new ideas or even new ways of thinking or looking at what's happening in their life So that's why I am um, say creating and offering a unique space and time for people to actually connect with how their life is going and what's going on for them and for them to take a broader perspective on what's actually happening. You co-founded the Ethical Leadership Program back in 2020 and this is the subject how we first connected. It's something that we're hearing more and more of now especially in business. So can you help to explain to our listeners you know what is ethical leadership and why is it important? Yeah, it's such a big and important question. And I I asked that because I I wasn't too sure myself, you know, yeah. what that entails because yeah, ethical we we should all be ethical, right? It makes sense. Yeah. But in leadership, you know, can you explain what what is it? Yeah. So why ethics and ethical leadership? It's about it's a practice that's always what i like to say first it's not an idea there's a lot out there about ethical models more at the academic level that is all fine and some people need a more academic approach to ethics i come from a, a very different angle i say ethics are a practice it's not an idea it's something we do and can do every day and ethics it's about knowing our deepest values what we place our heart upon i say and when we know our deepest values that is what guides us in our day to day life so ethics is about knowing our deepest values and also 
fully understanding and deeply understanding that our actions, so what we think, what we say, so what we communicate, how we behave, has consequences on ourselves and others and the world around us. So our actions have consequences. They have an impact on others, on ourselves, on the environment, on society. So that's in a nutshell what ethics are for me. Uh, it also involves, and this is not very popular, <laughs> ethics also involves healthy shame, being able to notice when our actions are not ethical. Basically, when what we do, what we think, say, do, is harmful to ourselves and others, and beginning to notice that, and taking responsibility and making amends if need be. So, and this is probably the link here to ethical leadership. So often in the traditional leadership world and training practice, it's very much about the leader and what they do. Often it's not so much about their inner life, their values, their inner compass. And so ethical leadership is very much about the leader as a person and knowing themselves and their impact on others. So how what they think, do and say has an impact on the people they lead. And is that something akin to like emotional intelligence that crosses the, the idea of being not only aware of the self, but how you're, you know, what you're saying affects others, being able to read those tells to see how it's coming across? Yeah, very much. Because emotional intelligence involves self-awareness and self-regulation and knowing the effect that has on other people. Can you give a couple of examples then of a, like a before and after as it relates to training in business? Like I can imagine it's not something that creates immediate change, but then you mentioned it's a practice. And so, you know, the benefits perhaps are a bit more long-term than say, hey, we do this six weeks and boom, you know, there it is. Everyone's an ethical leader now. But, you know, over the years and with the different people that you've worked with and the feedback that you've received along the way, can you give us a couple of examples of situations like it was like this before and the effects of learning that and, and you know, and applying those, those skills, the kind of effects that it's had? Yeah. Yeah, you're very, very spot on there. Ethics as a practice mm -hmm. is a lifelong practice, is becoming more and more aware of our impact on self and others. It's also got to do with uh, our conscience, and that is what lets us know whether we are on track or not. And some of the um, what I've seen, and this is my own experience, in, in people who attended our six-week ethical leadership program, particularly one guy comes to mind just now, who came along head of department within a corporate, quite a big corporate organization, and he came uh, along feeling very shy, quiet, unsure of himself, apologizing for talking for too long, quite judgmental from what, you know, in his way of sharing himself in the group. And then over the weeks, as we were practicing and sharing and listening to each other in the program, and also sharing learnings, and when our you know, some of the leaders who were attending sharing some of their more unethical behavior in the workplace so honestly and um, i could see and we could see this this guy just opening more and more literally blossoming and feeling more confident about himself and also seeing himself more he was discovering some of his unhelpful habits 
of thinking, you know, relating to himself, but also what he was doing in the workplace, being quite closed up, being quite snappy with people, not spending very much time with colleagues, not being very interested, excluding people, favoring colleagues over others. So all these things were sort of emerging. Sometimes some of these habits of behaving in the workplace seem small behaviors, but actually when we become more aware, we we start to, to see, wow, you know, I'm actually excluding this person over others or I'm forming in-groups in the workplace because I like these staff members better or you know, we become aware of unconscious biases we have, yeah, liking people more than others without actually knowing why. So all of these things were sort of emerging with this guy and he could see some of his unhelpful habits and he started to talk about them. And he, by the end of the six weeks, um, felt more confident about himself and became kinder. So there was a much kinder, softer attitude towards himself and an opening towards what he could do differently in very small ways, but powerful ways in how he were, was interacting with colleagues. So very, very heartening to see. And because to me, what it sounds like, so look, it's a lot of, you know, you're doing this through mindfulness, right? So the mindfulness is a big component. What is yeah. the difference in your approach when you teach someone mindfulness per se versus mindfulness under the umbrella of, or you know, with the connotation of you know, ethical management? Is it, is it very similar? Is it the same thing, you would say, and more positioning of the, the mindfulness, right? I think initially when we first kicked off, we were going to, and we for the first two cohorts of our six-week program, we actually called our program Radical Mindful Leaders Program. But we felt that it was more that we were offering. Right. And that led us to calling it ethical leadership program because firstly the world needs more ethical leaders who are aware of themselves and others who are able to go beyond their own needs and wants that's really also at the core of ethical leadership being able to move beyond one's own needs and wants in service of others that's very much ethical leadership and of course mindfulness is a big part of our work yeah. and when we look at the origins of mindfulness come from Buddhist teaching, there are three things at the heart of mindfulness really is awareness, ethics, knowing that our actions have consequences, and wisdom. So wisdom comes out of insight, comes out of awareness, knowing how things really are, and knowing that our actions have consequences. And out of that comes, oh, insight into oneself, into what's happening moment by moment and what's happening in our interrelationships. So John Kambatzin, who you mentioned earlier, he very much says mindfulness is about awareness, relationality, and ethics, because of course we are not separate. Yes. We are always in connection, interconnected with other people and all life. So it's all connected. And how is it received, for example, when trying to, you know, you're trying to almost pitch, right? When you go to these organizations, we understand the benefits and how useful it will be at the corporate level when positioned in terms of ethics. How, how well is that received? Because, you know, before you answer, one challenge I've found is, especially with stress reduction, which is probably the biggest need 
at the corporate world, it's the main reason why people take sick days off, etc. But I find a lot of backlash when, you know, positioning it in such a way. Because perhaps for some, it, it may say, well, I don't want to be seen as weak or I don't want to be seen that this is a weakness in me. So I won't attend this stress reduction course. However, you know, there are a lot of skills now that are very, that are becoming more and more important, like critical thinking, emotional intelligence, storytelling, uh, analysis. There's a lot of stuff that as far as more automation is kicking in. You know, there's a lot of new skills like you know, the World Economic Forum. Just in 2025, here are the top skills. And of those top skills, uh, curiosity, discipline, curiosity, and critical thinking are really becoming important. And it's just really amazing how mindfulness is a massive, can, you know, to help promote many of these, including emotional intelligence, which is one of these, and, you know, ethical management. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so to go back to the question, you know, how is it being received and, you know, is that why you chose to, to position in that way? Because it was getting the um, the response. No, not at all, actually. We've chosen ethical leadership because we feel that that is really what the world needs and that we need a paradigm shift in leadership, that we, we say our, one of our subheadings is if you're looking for traditional leadership training, then this program is not for you. Because our program requires much more of leaders. It requires humility to look at oneself honestly. It requires kindness to oneself and others, compassion to be with what one discovers about oneself, the shortcomings as well as the qualities. And so, um, and of course, awareness. So, I often say it's at the moment, it's not sexy at all <laughs> as the leadership, but it's what we believe the world needs. And I, I think we are ahead of the curve and it's not easy to be ahead of the curve with something. But we strongly believe in what we offer can make a huge difference in, in the development, awareness of leaders and the impact they have on others and the world. So it's not an easy place right now to be in, but I think perseverance and belief in what we do makes a difference and helps and will move us forward. Uh, I've been there before with my coaching outdoors approach at the time, 14 years ago, that was complete new and very different to how coaches were working. And now there are many more coaches working outdoors with people. It just takes time to assimilate and to get out there and, and talking. And I think that's what we are doing now. We are talking about ethical leadership. We talk about what the practice is. We invite people to come along to be curious. That's the way, I think. And that, that was the way of mindfulness. Yeah. So how do you create lasting change? Then, you know, so once the training is, is complete, do you take any measures to help ensure the longevity of the training? And how do you nurture it thereafter? Yeah, so it's a great question. And of course, as we both know from our mindful, own mindfulness practice, it's a practice. It's a lifelong practice. It's like training the body as well. Yeah, it cannot stop. So it needs regular practice. So we have created from the beginning since cohort one in 2020, a monthly practice group, um, which we are soon going to open for people who are, have not attended because we want to grow the community. 
So we practice on every second Monday of the month. We come together and we sit and practice together. And there's always time and space to share what's been happening. I see. Okay. So this is, uh, has created a community of like-minded, ethical leaders, mindful leaders, practitioners who know and want to connect on a regular basis and refresh their practice and sit with others. So yeah, it's absolutely essential and crucial to have a, a space where leaders can practice together. Yeah, because I'm really starting to understand the value of community. You know, before it was very much in my teaching, it was very siloed. Like, okay, one person, then one person. But then just the more I, I research it, the more I live it, the more, you know, I talk with experts. That this, you know, why is it that a community is so important? From my own experience, I've been practicing for so many years. And when I practice on my own, it's much harder to bring myself to it than when I practice with others on retreat or in my local sangha or with leaders on a monthly basis. I think it's because we share um, common humanity when we practice together. We share the sitting together. We can sense our interconnectedness when we sit together. That's inspiring. It's connecting. It's supportive when we practice together. And when others show up for practice, immediately we want to show up as well mm -hmm. it makes it easier and we are committed as soon as others are there oh yeah let's practice together and it becomes a collective communal activity because we are not we are not separate beings we are by nature interconnected and so as human beings we love being social and with others and so it, it's inspiring supportive connecting all of that This podcast is sponsored by Be Present Coaching, upskilling business professionals with mindfulness tools. Check out bepresent.uk for more information on corporate courses and guided mind exercises. Yeah, so if, you know, someone who's not heard of mindfulness before, what is mindfulness for you? And what is the most profound benefit for you of mindfulness? Because, you know, there's reduced stress. There's a lot of scientific benefits that are very, you know, well-known and well-shared. And just in your experience, you know, A, could you describe for you what mindfulness is and also what's been the biggest benefit? Yeah, it's a great question. So mindfulness is awareness. It's clearly knowing what's going on moment by moment. It's being fully here. I say being fully here. It's a bit of a <laughs> being fully here means being fully here with body, speech and mind, if you like, rather than being caught up in my head in thinking about the past or future. That is what mindfulness is. Being mindful is being here. Mm -hmm. But we know now from research, 50% of our waking hours time, when we are conscious, not asleep, we are not here. It's astounding. 50% of our conscious time, we are not here. So mindfulness is about being fully here. And the biggest benefit I think it brings, yes, it reduces stress. Yes, it reduces anxiety. The biggest benefit I think it brings is that we come into kinder connection with ourselves. And when we come into kinder connection with ourselves, everything changes. Our life experience and how we experience life and ourselves changes. And when that changes, how we relate to others changes radically. That's the greatest benefit, that we 
become aware of the habits of the mind. And a habit of the mind is being self-critical, feeling anxious, doubting ourselves and others, wanting this, not wanting that, arguing with reality. Those are the greatest benefits. Noticing the habits of the mind, becoming kinder. And when that happens, everything changes. And that has been my experience. And then mindfulness is much more than reducing stress. It's enhancing our experience of life. It's flourishing. We often talk about mindfulness and its benefits, reducing stress and better coping with daily life. It's so much more. Right. That's merely a byproduct of actually the... the All of that are byproducts. Yeah. But what it really does is that we experience ourselves in life in a much more joyful, rich, enhanced, full, colorful way. That is my experience. That doesn't mean suffering and difficulty and challenges won't happen anymore, of course. But how we respond to what's happening in our life, how we respond to those difficulties changes completely. Be beautifully said, because it's, you know, I found it astounding that, you know, because I, I myself as a mindfulness coach, I think very clearly and a lot about what if I'm going to explain it to someone, where do I begin? I've had to like, water down what I really truly feel about it just to get someone engaged just someone to start the conversation because it's you know and I'll ask this question to you as well but some of the challenges I have you know getting to someone that doesn't know nothing about it to what you've said to where you know where we have to meet people that there's a massive journey so how do you cross that challenge this is really what it means in my heart the amazing almost superpower like benefits of like how the whole experience of the world of yourself completely shifts. How do you overcome that that obstacle of taking them from A to B? And do they always get to B? Eventually people get to B, but it depends on how curious people are. Yeah. The, the different starting points, right? There's diff everyone we're all different. We're all different, right? Yeah. We're all different. Yeah. It depends on where people are at. We can only ever meet people where they are at. And whatever unfolds from there depends on where they are at. Yeah. And I think mindfulness, again, as ethics, mindfulness is a practice. We can only ever experience it. We cannot experience or understand mindfulness in the head because it's not cognitive. It's experiential. So how I bridge that gap from talking about mindfulness is helping people experience this, experience mindfulness. Yep. So it starts off, yeah, mindfulness practice starts with becoming more aware of the body, the physicality of the body, just helping people feel sensations in the hands or heart or feet or bum. <laughs> oh, that's mindfulness. Helping people describe what's going on. Is it tingly? Is it warm? Is it tense? Is it tight, contracted? Oh, yeah. What happens when you notice that? And something happens. When we bring awareness to our experience, it changes and we become aware of what's actually happening. So we can only experience mindfulness, awareness, by experiencing it, by being here, noticing physical sensations, emotions, thoughts, 
what's going on between myself and others, what's going on around me when I look around, what I see, hear, feel, taste, touch, smell. That's experiencing what's happening. So that's mindfulness practice. Beautiful. Seems simple. Yeah. It's not always that simple. It's also not difficult. It's a capacity we all have. That's a good news. Yes. And that's why the... I've always called it like a communication issue. It's like when I'm speaking to somebody, if I could just like transfer the knowledge and, you know, and I'm saying all the right words, I think I'm saying all the right words, coming from the heart, but it doesn't resonate because like you said, it's an experience that you know, one needs to go through and have spend a bit of time in, in, the, in the laboratory of their own minds or, you know, start getting on the same page as to how it impacts you, how it changes you and how you can start to benefit from it and make changes. So, yeah, so you've had um, a remarkable, you know, last 10, 15 years in this, in this journey, you know, really living out your purpose. How are you going to continue this over the next 10 years? Say? When are you up on your vision board? What's the, what's the plan for you? Yeah, I really like your questions. They request of me to really, <laughs> you know, hone in and focus my mind on what's most important to me. So the next 10 years, will, I will continue to focus on working with people in leadership positions. I've noticed over the past five years, I would say, um, and that's really when I started, I would say, five years ago, when I started to work with more people in leadership positions. That happened naturally through the work I've been doing, my own experience. I want to work with more focus on working with leaders because leaders work with people and have influence over others. And I believe the more leaders become ethical in their way of thinking, communicating, relating to others, behaving, their actions, the more people benefit from it. So I want to be more and more for service to others. So the more I work with people who have influence over others, the more I can have an impact on others. So that's where I'm coming from. So I want to be a leader in that way myself um, to model through my own practice what I would love others to do more of and practice and learn. Yeah. And I still have a lot to learn. And people like Vidya Mala, who I you interviewed recently, as you said, models for me i've recently co-led a retreat for her and with her and um and you know it, it's been such a rich experience you know, to learn from leaders who are a little bit further ahead and i want to do that for others beautiful well I, you touched on it a little bit but uh, i'll ask it again formally so what given your, your wonderful career your upbringing in germany as you say what matters most to you Another really good question. So what matters most to me Mm -hmm. is, so in my work is helping others to come into a kinder, compassionate relationship with themselves, because that's my own journey and it has made such a huge difference to my life. I wouldn't be here without that practice at all. And saying that, I think kindness is one of the most important values in my life. Kindness to myself, kindness curiosity is another value being curious about myself and others and what's happening rather than 
contracted and closed. And honesty, honesty with myself about what's going on. And another value of mine is learning. And with that goes humility. And those are all values I think that we need to bring to an ethical life. Humility, kindness, um, honesty and compassion. Without these values, um, my practice would not work. And so those are the values that we want to share with others in our ethical leadership program. But that's also always there in my coaching work with clients. And those are difficult values to practice. I know this myself, and it's ongoing for me to learn to be humble, to make amends, to take responsibility for my actions, what I do, you know, uh, what I say sometimes, you know, maybe being snappy or off or, hmm, you know, I feel it in, in the body when I don't act ethically. I, I feel it, it's uncomfortable, but I can make amends. So all of this is very important to me. So if we want to find out more, you know, we're interested in learning how to be more ethical and apply it in our leadership, or we just want to get more information about in general, how can they find out about that? And I'll be sharing your LinkedIn profile, which has more yeah. about you and stuff. But yeah, if, if you can like, help direct our listeners if they wish to, to learn, find out a little bit more. Yeah, so our Ethical Leadership Programme website is called parcival.co.uk. That's the best way to find out about what we do, parcival.co.uk. And of course, through my LinkedIn profile, and I'm very happy to have a chat about anyone who wants to find out more about ethical leadership. And the next program, if I may mention it, will run in, uh, will start on the 15th of February next year. And you mentioned that you, you ran something with Vijamala. Is this part of it as well, or is that something separate? No, no. The retreat and the things I do with Vijamala and Breathworks are part of Breathworks. So I'm an associate okay. mindfulness teacher and trainer with Breathworks. And the retreat we've just run together was a Breathworks residential retreat. Lovely. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed it. It's really kind of opened my eyes to this, you know, this ethical perspective in leadership. And um, I will surely be digging into that a lot more now. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure talking with you. Thanks for making it this far and showing your support and love to the podcast. A big thanks again to Be Present Coaching for their support. Find out more about their masterclass mindfulness courses and free guided meditations at bepresent.uk. Bepresent.uk. I'm your host, Guy, and this is the Mindful News Podcast. If you've taken away something from today's episode, please go ahead and share the link with a friend. Until next week, 